Well, if you've got your Bible, open with me again this morning to the book of 1 Timothy, chapter 3. And we are going to look together at some verses we've been looking at over the last several weeks. I hope you've been able to tune in online. I know it's been difficult for us to actually get into the same room, but that is coming very, very, very soon. Uh, In 1 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 14, look at this again with me today. Paul writing to this young pastor named Timothy, he said, These things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly, but if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of of the truth. Paul said, I'm writing to you. I want to get to you in person, but if I can't get there, I'm writing to you so that you know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God. And just so we're clear, he says, which is the church of the living God, the pillar of the ground, excuse me, the pillar and ground of the truth. It matters evidently how we act, how we conduct ourselves in church. And these are important things for us to talk about in these beginning days of this church to lay a foundation for what it's going to be like here. We talked about it months ago. We talked about how significant, how important the atmosphere of this place is. And what we want above all else is for the air that we breathe when we come into this church to be an atmosphere of faith and an atmosphere of love. And I believe we can come to that place where somebody steps in and they take a deep breath in and they inhale something they never have before because it's not just oxygen in this air. It's not just thin oxygen. It's, it's rich with faith and love. It matters what goes on in a church. And he says, I'm writing to you so that you know how to conduct yourself in church. And there's a lot of tradition. There's a lot of religion that tries to instruct and direct the way to influence the way we come to church and what we do in church. And you can always tell too, when somebody's sat under a lot of strict religious teaching, man, it's like turning into another person when they step inside the church. And it's not good, right? It's like putting something on that's not actually them. They're one way in the house when they got up. They're one way in the car driving out here. And maybe they were angry and frustrated and irritable and cranky. And then all of a sudden they get to the parking lot and open the door and somebody says, hey, good morning. And they're like, hey, brother, God bless you. So blessed by my opportunity to be in the house. Oh, shut up. You know, it's like you can be anything with God but fake. One of the things our pastor taught us years ago was God will meet you where you are, but not where you pretend to be. There's no room for fakeness. There's no room for pretense with him. But it matters how we do conduct ourselves in church. And instead of letting tradition influence that, instead of letting religion influence that, why don't we let the word of God tell us how we're to conduct ourselves in church? If you look back in the verses leading up to this, all through chapter 3, Paul is writing to Timothy, talking to him. First of all, he says uh, about bishops. And like we've talked about before, that's somebody in a leadership position. 
that would describe the, the place that Sarah and I hold, maybe even some of the others on our team that, that work directly beneath us. But he goes on and he also talks about deacons. That's people who serve. What I like about what we're doing together this week and we've done over the last number of weeks in getting together with just those who have volunteered to serve in this church is that literally just in these few verses, he's talking to everybody in this room. This is a specific group of people. And what I came to realize this week, even more so than I had in weeks past, was how important it is for those two groups of people to get on the same page. Now, not everybody that comes to this church obviously is the leader of the church, but not everybody who comes to this church will serve in this church. But if we can get the leadership and those who are in place to serve on the same page in the same place, we can influence the atmosphere of this place and we can live our lives and conduct ourselves in such a way that somebody comes in off the street and our faith and our love and our reverence like Sarah talked to us about already today and what Paul wrote to Timothy about for these, we can be the overriding factor of what kind of atmosphere we have in this church. Just through the leadership and those who serve. It's important that we get on the same page. He talked to him about bishops being reverent and their children being reverent and wives and, and deacons and so on. He used the word reverent over and over and over again. And that's why we also looked in the book of Acts chapter 9 you don't have to turn there. Uh, we can put it on the screen for you. But in Acts chapter 9, verse 31, it says, Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace. They had peace and were edified. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. Listen to it from the Passion Translation today. It says, After this, the church all over Judea, Galilee, and Samaria experienced a season of peace. The congregations grew larger and larger. Somebody say amen. amen. The congregations grew larger and larger with the believers, listen now, being empowered and encouraged. By what? By who? By the Holy Spirit. How and why were these congregations growing larger and larger? This is what we've been talking about for weeks. Miraculous exponential growth in these churches. What was the reason? What was the cause? Where was it coming from? You see here that it was coming from the believers being empowered and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. The New King James and other translations say the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Now that word comfort's so big. That's, that's who he is. That's just not what he does. That's who he is. Jesus told his disciples, I will send you another comforter. And if you look in the Amplified, it took like, I don't know, six or eight different words just to unpack what that one word comforter actually meant. He's your standby. He's your advocate, right? He's the one who will take of what is mine and show it to you. All of this is in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. But these churches were growing because the believers were empowered and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. Now, let me just take a, a quick little sidestep here. And we'll talk more about it, I believe, in time to come. But God can and does do things in our lives directly just between us and Him. God can do something, say something to you, minister something to you, and you got it straight from Him. 
And I'm not necessarily talking about an audible voice, but just, just light and revelation as you read His Word. Just the ministry of His Spirit that lives big in you. But how often does God use some other person to get to you? A lot. A lot. That's what the ministry gifts are for. The apostles and prophets and pastors and teachers, evangelists, that's what those gifts are about. Is God getting something to you? But it doesn't just come from the pulpit. You and I, all of us, are called to minister to one another. And much of this encouragement that he's talking about, it doesn't just have to come because you got a word from God. It can come as the result of the Lord leading somebody else to encourage you. See, we got to be open to this. This is a big part of your calling. We think about our calling in terms of our profession, our jobs, our vocations, and maybe that's part of it, but there's so much more. You are called to encourage. Somebody say it. I am called to encourage. We'll talk more about that in time to come. But these churches were growing as the result of the empowerment and the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, and they worshiped God. The New, New King James says they walked in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. They worshiped God, the Passion says, worshiped God in wonder and in awe and walked in the fear of the Lord. Wonder and awe. I love what Sarah's talked to us about already during worship this morning. What we sang about our God is an awesome God. Awesome. Sometimes I get so frustrated with our language. We tend to use a word to describe so many different things. And because of that, it cheapens it. When you use the word, to, the word awesome to describe God and dinner... It sort of cheapens the way you look at God. There are words, I believe, that should be, if not in our speaking, at least in our hearts, reserved for Him. Awesome. Somebody just say it. Awesome. Awesome. That's what the fear of the Lord is. It's to worship in awe. Watch this. Awe. No, no literally. Watch me. Awe. Just try it. You say it. Awe. Awe. But leave your mouth like you just stop in the middle of the word awesome. Awe. Awe. It's here? It's here. You know what this is right here? That's the fear of the Lord. That's how you describe. That's what awesome is. It's this. It's just mouth wide open. And the fear of the Lord is so... Simple, when you get down to it, it starts with, there is a God. There is a God. I said, there is a God. And that's what we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Just that revelation alone. Just believing that alone right there. That, that will so influence your life. There are things you will do or won't do. Why? Because there is a God. There are places you will not go. Why? Because there is a God. There are things you will not say. Why? Why? Because there is a God. That's the beginning of the fear of the Lord. But I believe the next step in it is just as simple. Not only is there a God, 
but he's big. <laughs> he's so big. That's why Sarah talked to us today about God is great and greatly to be praised. Again, here we run into problems with our words. Great. We use the word great to describe God. And we also use the word great to describe everything else. Something that, oh, that's good. That's great. Oh, great. Oh, and God, you're great too. Well, which is it? You know, is it God or is it pizza? Which one's great? Which one's great? And we run into this with our words, but there's got to be a revelation on the inside of you of who and what great actually is. When you look at it in the scripture, great is not really just talking about the condition of something. It's more of a reference to the size. God, you are great. What's he saying? You are big. You are so big. Oh God, you're big. And it's like you just stand there and go, ah, how big is he? Ethbeh. <laughs> Where your mouth just falls wide open and, and there's nearly not a word to describe it. He is big and he is bigly to be praised. <laughs> That's the fear of the Lord. And these people were walking in it. In other words, it wasn't just a Sunday thing. It wasn't something they put on right before they walked in the front door of the church. This was every day, all day. They lived with this awareness of the reality of God and the bigness of God. And God was showing it to them. There were miracles popping all over that place. God proving himself. God doing things that only God can do. God saying things that only God can say. But listen to me, that's not over it didn't end with that church. Right. We're a part of the same church. Amen. What I want to do today as we keep talking about this is get into some more of the practicalities of how we reverence God. Because I believe that the way we conduct ourselves in church is directly connected to what we get out of church. The way we come to church influences the way we leave church. What we come with has everything to do with what we leave with. And if we come with reverence, then I believe that that honor is like an open door for God to pour his presence out through. And without realizing it a couple of weeks ago, we started a new series. And I don't think I really put it all together till late last night, early this morning. But I'm calling this series Reverence on the Rise. Reverence on the rise. And what I mean by that is as our reverence comes up, so does the manifestation of the glory of God. And what this series is about is about walking in an ever increasing degree of the fear of the Lord and the manifested presence of God that pours through the open door of our honor. He said, those who honor me, what would he do? Honor them. But right on the other hand, he said, those who despise me, and we use that word despise like I hate that, but that's really not what it means. He said, those who despise me will be lightly esteemed. To despise something just simply means not to take it seriously, not to give any weight to it, not to give any honor to it. And God's saying, look, if you honor me, that's an open door for me to honor you. But if you don't give any weight to my things, I can't give any weight to yours. So there's got to be some practical ways 
that you and I reverence and honor God because it's got to go, it's got to be more than just, I worship you, I worship you, I worship you, I worship you. I honor you, I honor you, I honor you, I honor you. You're awesome, you're awesome, you're awesome, you're awesome, you're awesome. Now those things are great to say, but are you with me? It's got to be more than that, right? It's got to be more than that. So let's talk some about how we reverence the things of God. Go to the uh, Old Testament with me and look in the book of Isaiah chapter 26. Isaiah chapter 26. Well, thank you, Lord. How do you want to do this? Hold your place in Isaiah chapter 26 and go to the book of Proverbs chapter 4. In the book of Proverbs chapter 4, the first verse says, Hear, my children, the instructions of a father. I got a front row full of kids right here. Is everybody listening? All right, he's talking to you. Hear, my children, the instruction of a father, and give attention. Everybody say, give attention. attention. We might say, pay attention. Give attention, he said, to no understanding. For I give you good doctrine. Do not forsake my law. When I was my father's son, tender and the only one in the sight of my mother, he also taught me and said to me, let your heart retain my words. Keep my commands and live. Get wisdom. Get understanding. Do not forget nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her. She will preserve you. Love her. She will keep you. Who will? Wisdom. He said, wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And in all you're getting, get understanding. Exalt her, she will promote you. She will bring you honor when you embrace her. She will place on your head an ornament of grace, a crown of glory she will deliver to you. He said it again, verse 10. Hear my son and receive my sayings. And what's going to happen? The years of your life will be many. He said, I've taught you in the way of wisdom. I've led you in the right paths. When you walk, your steps will not be hindered. And when you run, you will not stumble. Take firm hold of instruction. Do not let go. Keep her for she is your life. Do not enter the path of the wicked and do not walk in the way of evil. Avoid it. Do not travel on it. Turn away from it. He said, listen again, turn away from it and pass on. For they do not sleep unless they have done evil, and their sleep is taken away unless they make someone fall. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. But the path, notice this, verse 18, listen. The path of the just is like the shining sun that shines ever brighter unto the perfect day. The way of the wicked is like darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. I want you to look at verse 20. My son, give attention to my words. Is that like the third time or so that he's said, my son, pay attention, my son, pay attention, my son, pay attention. This is starting to sound a lot like some conversations my parents and I had. I used to think, you know, the Proverbs were, you know, a lifetime of instruction from a father to a son. And then as a teenager, I started to realize this may have been one lecture. (laughs) This might have been one 31 chapter lecture, because I felt like I sat through a few of those. But if you're a parent, 
then you know that through the course of any given conversation, you may have to say to your child, hey, 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 right here, right here. And you talk and you talk and you talk. But what happens for the child? Attention starts to drift. And what do you have to do as a parent? Draw the attention back. Draw the, hey, listen, listen, my son. Hey, 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 pay attention, pay attention. You know, as well as I do, if you're a parent, that you've got to do these things with your children. The Lord has to do them with us. Listen to what he said in verse 20. My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those that find them and health to their flesh. Now, for years, growing up in a house that believed in healing and preached healing and, and stood in faith for healing for our own bodies and for other people. This was one of our go-to scriptures. I mean, it spells it out plain here. My son, give attention to my words incline your ear to my sayings. Don't let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart. Why? For they are life to those that find them and health to all their flesh. And there was an emphasis on my son, uh, pay attention to my words, uh, incline your ear to my sayings. And that's good. It's right. But have you ever noticed that you can take a single statement and this is a real key in meditation. Just take a scripture from the word. And as you meditate on it, even if it's just one statement, go through it over and over and over again and put emphasis on a different word each time and watch the way that whole statement changes and comes to life. And that's a good way to get everything out of it. Let me just move the emphasis in this one statement from the word words or sayings to another place. And you tell me if, it's, if it adds a level of meaning to you. Listen to this. My son, give attention to my words. Give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. You know what that does for me is it causes me to realize that my father is not the only one talking. He's not the only one trying to get my attention. Are you following me? We live in a loud world. You've noticed that, haven't you? There are other places just in, in these same uh, pages in the book of Proverbs, the first chapter, he writes and talks about how the voice of wisdom calls aloud outside and in the marketplaces. And the Amplified says, in the noisy intersections. Well, what is an intersection? It's a place where you change directions. It's a place in the road where you have a choice to make. Which path am I taking? Which way am I going? And what we find out about those intersections is that they're noisy. And we know what that's like, right? I mean, you can, you can come to an intersection out in the middle of the country somewhere and it's nothing but a flashing red light and a couple of dirt roads and nobody's out there or has been out there for days, weeks on end. But there's a difference between that intersection and something downtown Denver, right? At the peak traffic time 
where you've got roads and highways crossing and hundreds, if not thousands of people all converging on it at one time. And that's why uh, property right there is so expensive, right? The exposure. And that's why you see signs up and that's why you see lights flashing. And that's why people are, are selling property right there and it's expensive. They want to be where the, the crowd is. And it can be a little more distracting. Are you hearing me? Distracting in that kind of environment. And that's what he's saying, where wisdom is stationed. That's where the voice of the wisdom of God is crying out in the noisy intersections. And now that's why you understand that the father's having to say, pay attention to my words. Is anybody following me on this? Pay attention to what I'm saying. Why? Because there's a bunch of other people saying a bunch of other stuff, but my words are the only ones that lead to life. My words are the only ones that'll be healing to your flesh. Come on. Hey, boy, pay attention. here. Look, 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 look. And it's like talking to a child and they're with you for a little bit. And then they just start to drift. And then they start to wander. A child or your husband, whatever. I don't know. You just... But what has to happen? The attention has to be regained. Now, I I haven't changed subjects. We're still talking about the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord and the the worshipful, worshipful, reverential awe of who He is says, your words matter most. I give weight and value and honor to your word. And you know, you stand at that crossroads maybe more often than you realize. Particularly when there's a need that's come up in your life, in any area, spirit, soul, body, materially, financially, and you've got maybe symptoms that are just screaming at you. Maybe you've got a diagnosis written down on a piece of paper from a guy with a bunch of initials behind his name because of all his education and all his schooling and you've got this talking to you and this says, this is what you have and this is how long you've got. You've got a choice to make. Whose word do you give weight to? Because there is another word. There is another word. There is a word that says, by his stripes, you are healed. So you have an option right now. Whose word do I give weight to? And through the fear of the Lord, that is to say, Father, I give weight to your word more than I do any other. Amen. And then that's not to say that some other person who said something, they, they don't know what they're talking about. I'm not talking about being rude or mean to somebody else. All I'm talking about is giving honor to one place and one place only. My son, attend to mine. Mine. Hey, boy, come here. I'm talking. I'm talking. Give weight to my words. Do you still have your place there in Isaiah? Look at this with me in Isaiah chapter 26. The prophet Isaiah is speaking here to God, to the Father, and he said to him in verse 3, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is, read it out loud with me, stayed on you. Why? Because he trusts you. Anybody like the sound of perfect peace? 
We read that in the book of Acts chapter 9 about those churches. All those churches, Judea, Galilee, Samaria, remember this? They all had peace. Peace. Peace is one of the things that's supposed to define us. In a world that is completely void of it, you and I are supposed to be walking around with an abundance of it. More than enough, not just for us, but for them too. A peace that passes all understanding. A peace that you have when it makes no sense for you to have that kind of peace. Walking in peace, laying down and going to sleep in peace, living in peace. That your peace level and mine are supposed to be high, high, high all the time, all the time, all the time. And it's supposed to be one of those things that makes us who we are. And he said that church, those churches, they all were experiencing that kind of peace. Well, you hear, you see here the result of, or, or, or the, the reason you have that kind of peace. He said he will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. So you could say that the absence of peace is the product of a wandering mind. The absence of peace in your life, mine or anybody's, is the direct result of a wandering mind. Now you think about a wandering mind, you think, well, this is just my personality, right? I'm just kind of all over the place. I'm just fun loving and I have a hard time focusing on one thing for, for any length of time. Well, you better get control of that because Satan will work overtime to make you believe that's just who you are. But that is a characteristic... That's a childlike quality that honestly, when you're a child, it's, it's fine. It's okay. Why? Because you're still growing. You're still learning. But how many of you know that should not still be hanging around in our lives? We should be growing up. There's a famous story in, in our family. We were all out to dinner one night and my grandmother was there with us. And uh, I guess I was sitting next to her. I don't know how old I would have been, five, six years old. And I'm just playing with food. And I guess as the story goes, I don't remember this, but there was a, uh, like a hard boiled egg, like maybe a deviled egg or something cut in half. And I'm, I've got this thing and I'm, I'm motorboating this egg all around the table. This is my boat. And I'm just playing with my food, playing with my food. And evidently my Grammy, uh, takes this opportunity to instruct her five-year-old grandson on all the reasons we don't play with our food. It's not polite. We don't do that at the table. Nobody else at the table is playing with their food. Do you see that, Jeremy? Look around. Nobody's playing with their food. And it's this 31 chapter lecture on (laughs) not playing with your food. And she said that at the end of her little lecture, I looked at her and said, want to ride in my boat? (laughs) (laughs) Didn't sink in, did it? Did not sink in. And you know what? It's funny. It's cute. For a five-year-old. But you know what I'm not interested in? I'm not interested in Legacy Church being a children's church for ages birth through 99. Now we'll have children's church and it'll be great and it'll be geared towards them and it'll be quick and we won't require too much of the attention span. But hey, grown-ups, you and I ought to be able to lock in a little better, right? Focus in a little more. Why would that be so important? Our peace depends on it. 
Our peace depends on our ability to keep our mind in one place. Keep our minds stayed on him. Uh, Look at a New Testament example of this with me. Go to the book of Luke chapter 10. Kiddos, you doing okay? Everybody do? I feel like you all are sharing one seat. (laughs) Y'all are cute. Luke chapter 10. In Luke chapter 10, look at verse 38 with me. It says, Now it happened as they went that he, Jesus, entered a certain village. And a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. She welcomed Jesus into her house. Now we're talking about how to conduct ourselves where? In the house of God. But what occurred to me this week is that really any house God goes into, that's his house. Any house. His house is not limited to this structure. Now this is a place that's dedicated to him, dedicated to his presence, dedicated to his glory. But any house God goes into, that can be his house. He's just that big. He's just that awesome. Come on, help me out. What's awesome? Uh, Just freeze, freeze. That's it, right there. Uh, David also said this over and over. Oh, God, you are my God. Just that, oh, ah, oh. What is that? That's the reverence of God. Any house God goes into can be the house of God, and we need to know how to conduct ourselves in that house. So Martha welcomed Jesus into her house. Now, this this is important. This is a significant detail. Because Jesus goes into a number of different environments. He preaches in synagogues. He preaches out in the wilderness. He preaches in in temples. But I believe there's something significant about this place. It seemed like everywhere Jesus went, there was kind of a mix of people. There were those who wanted to hear what he had to say. There were those who weren't sure about what he had to say. There were those who just flat hated him and everything he had to say, had to say. There were those that wanted him dead because of what he had to say. And Jesus is facing this every time he's ministering. But to me, this is different. Right now, he's in an atmosphere that he's been welcomed into. And I can tell you as a preacher, it makes a difference. It makes a difference when you stand up and talk to people who at least act like they want to be there. Because I've talked to people who you looked at them and you could see it in their eyes. When is this guy going to shut up? And it makes a difference on what can come out. And Jesus steps into an environment where he's been welcomed. And it said in verse 39 that she, Martha, had a sister called Mary, notice these words, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. Man, every word of this is important. She's sitting at his feet. What is that? Humility. To bring yourself low and give him a place above you. That's the fear of the Lord. That's the reverence of who he is. The Bible says that Mary also sat there. What's that tell you? That at least at some point after Jesus came in, Martha was there. I mean, just get the picture. This house is crowded, full of people, standing room only. 
and the sisters are front and center, right there at the feet of Jesus, listening to his word. It says they heard his word. Nobody else's, his. But what happened in verse 40? Martha was distracted. Martha was distracted with much serving, and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. Now get the picture of what happened here. Jesus has been invited, welcomed into her house, right? And he begins to talk. And you know every word out of his mouth. Man, you know it's life-changing. You know there's healing in it. You know there's deliverance in it. You know there's revelation in it. A revelation of a God these people thought they knew. But when he starts talking, they see someone they'd never seen before. Revelations of the Father. Revelations of his love, of his mercy, of his grace. And you know that there are people there hanging on every word. But all of a sudden, right in the middle of it, Martha, who's in the right place, Hearing the right word. What happened? She gets distracted. Now that word distracted, it, it literally means to be driven about in the mind. To be driven in circles in the mind. The King James used the word cumbered. She's driven about in her mind. She's, th this thought comes to her. She's looking at Jesus. She's listening to Jesus. But then comes this thought. Man, He's been preaching a while. Yeah, like the one you've got right now. He's been <laughs> preaching a while. Who's going to feed these people? And she says, no, 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 pay attention. Come on, pay attention. This is so good. I got to hear this. Man, who's going to feed him? He's going to be hungry. This is my house. These are my guests. I'm going to have to feed these people. So at some point, while Jesus is speaking... She gets up from where she was, right? Where was she? At his feet. At his feet. Stands up. Excuse me. Excuse me. I'm sorry. I just apologize. Jesus, you keep going. I'll be here. Sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. And she, little commotion, right? Leaves the room. She's in the kitchen. Frantically, well, what am I going to feed these people? I got 75, 80 people sitting in my living room. I got to feed these people. I got Jesus sitting in my living room. I got to have to feed him. I got to prepare a meal. She gets out dishes and she's clanging and she's, oh, what am I going to do? And she's, I need help. I need help. I can't do this by myself. So she goes and looks out of the kitchen. And she sees Mary, who is where? At his feet. At his feet. And she's like, Psh. <laughs> <laughs> hoo, hoo. <laughs> Right? Look up here. Look up here. And Mary's like, and Martha's like, I know you've seen me. I know you've here. Mary's not having it, right? What's going on while this is happening? Jesus is out there speaking. Where is her attention? Huh? Listen to some of these other translations. In the CEV, it says, Martha was worried about all that had to be done. Worried about all that had to be done. Is there anybody in here that would raise an honest hand and say, been there? Worried about all that had to be done. You look at the to-do list and it just keeps growing and growing and growing. The New Living Translation says, Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. Distracted by what she was preparing. And here's what hits me. 
two meals were being served that day. One by Jesus and one by Martha. But she was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. Listen to it from the Weiss translation. I'm going to read this whole account to you again. It says, Now as they were going on their way, he himself entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him as a guest into her home. She had a sister called Mary who also, having seated herself beside the Lord's feet, was listening to his word. But Martha was going around in circles, over-occupied with preparing the meal. You like that word? Over-occupied? What's that mean? Giving too much attention to something that doesn't deserve that much attention. Do you know what distracted is? What being distracted is? Being distracted is lacking the ability to decide in the moment what's most important. And it comes on you quick. It's like being in an intersection. And you don't have the ability, you don't, you don't know in the moment which is the right way to go. And a distraction is something coming to you while you're busy doing something else. And the inability to decide and determine which of these is most important. Sad to say, there are many people getting, getting hurt. Many losing their lives on a daily basis because of a distraction. Let me just ask you, if you're driving a motor vehicle, operating a motor vehicle at 75 miles an hour on the highway, and the phone rings, what's most important? Huh? If it buzzes and there's a message. If you're driving a car, is there anything more important than driving the car? But people are getting hurt every day all around us. Because they lack the ability in that moment to decide what's most important. Yeah, but I was waiting on this call. It's an important call. But was it more important? That's the, de that's the decision. That's what you have to know. What's not, not what's important, what's most important. And that's what much of life is about. Deciding not between right and wrong, good and bad, but, but deciding between good and better. Better and best. Huh? Not deciding between unimportant and important, deciding between important and more important. Are you following me? She was over-occupied with preparing the meal. Notice, and bursting in upon Jesus. Do you see this up here? Bursting in upon Jesus, she assumed a stance over him. Where's Mary? At his feet. Doing what? Listening. 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 Attending. But here comes Martha bursting out of that kitchen and assumes a stance over him. Do you get the picture? Jesus is seated. Mary's brought herself low. But here comes Martha taking a place over Jesus. Is that the fear of the Lord? Is that reverence? Is that awe? mm, -mm. That's taken a place that doesn't belong to her. And she starts talking to him. Just interrupts the whole thing. And what does she say? Lord, is it not a concern to you 
that my sister has let me down to, pre, to be preparing the meal alone? Speak therefore to her. Now she's telling him what to say. She stopped what he was saying and now she's telling him to say this. Speak therefore to her at once that she take hold and do her part with me. And answering, the Lord said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and excited about many things, but a few things there is need or of one. For Mary chose out for herself the good portion, which is of such a nature that it shall not hastily be snatched away from her. Martha, Martha, you're worried about many things. Help me out. What happened to her peace? Where'd it go? It's gone. Why? Because she couldn't keep her mind in one place. She couldn't keep her mind stayed on him. She was driven about in her mind. With what? Worry. Worry. We may have not have thought about it like this, but we need to begin to think like this. That when we yield to worry, what it actually is, is a total lack of the fear of the Lord. Because you're letting something else take prominence and place in your mind that only He is worthy of. And if the fear of the Lord would come up, if the reverence and awe of who God is, you look at him and how big he is, and then you look back at this thing that's bugging you, and then you look back at him and you go, that's big. If that's big, what's that make this? Now, I don't care how big this thing is over here, how pressing, what an emergency it is, whatever it is, is tiny compared to the bigness of God. And if we would come up if, if reverence would be on the rise, these things would pale in comparison to him. And he said, you're worried. You have a total lack of peace. You're troubled about many things. But one thing is needed. Mary has chosen that good part. Notice what he said. Which will not be taken from her. In other words, I'm not going to tell her to stop. You think Jesus is actually going to say, yeah, you know what? You're right. Mary, quit listening to the word and get in there and cook. What should Martha have said? What should she have done when those thoughts started to come? I got to feed these people. Taking the pressure on. Worried about everything there was to do. Worried about preparing the meal. What should she have said? Huh? She should have said, wait a second. No. I am going to attend to his word. She should have said, you know what? I know these people are probably hungry, but have you ever seen what this guy can do with a Triscuit and a can of sardines? You feed them, Jesus. I'm listening. I'm staying plugged in right here. What amazes me is that the book of Luke and much of the New Testament or the Gospels are written as documentaries. Luke's especially. What we have in the account of Luke and the miracles and Jesus and his ministry is all the result of Dr. Luke interviewing people and saying, you were there. Tell me what you saw. What happened? And he wrote it down. That's the reason we have this book of the Bible. It's a documentary. You know what amazes me, is astounding to me, that we have no idea what Jesus said that day. Wouldn't you want to know? I mean, think about what could come out in that kind of atmosphere that couldn't come out in a place where the whole front row is people who hate him and want him dead. 
It's limiting. I'm telling you as a minister, I know it's limiting. You can't get to what's in your heart. You can't say what you want to say. But in an environment where you've been welcomed and there's faith and there's love and there's respect, you can get out so much revelation. You can say things beyond yourself. You can say things you didn't know you knew that come straight up out of your spirit. What do you think Jesus said that day? You don't know. And I don't know. Why? Because evidently the only thing anybody remembered enough about that day to tell Dr. Luke about was the fact that while Jesus was talking, Martha stood up, caused this commotion, walked out of the room, came back in, started yelling at him, obviously mad at Mary. And Luke goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. But what did he say? And they go, I don't remember. Why? Because distracted people distract people. But what do you think would happen if, at the very least, the bishops and the deacons, the leaders and the servers, were all so locked in, so focused in on the Word of God? There'd be enough of us to override any kind of distraction in the atmosphere, to take, take authority over the environment, so that the Word of God come out with utterance and free course and free reign. And God could say what he wanted to yes. say. Yes. And people would hear it yes. and they'd leave changed. Yes. Amen? Amen. This is the fear of the Lord. To give his word the reverence it deserves. In the Passion Translation, it says in verse 41, The Lord answered her, Martha, my beloved Martha, why are you upset and troubled, pulled away? by all these many distractions. Are they really that important, he said? Mary has discovered the one thing most important. You hear that? Yeah. Most important. Is it important that you eat? Yeah. Is it important? Is serving important? Yes, it is. As a matter of fact, if you look up the word translated serving, she was distracted with much serving. It's the word ministry. Well, how do we reconcile that? <laughs> what do we do with that? Is ministry important? Yeah, it's important. But it's like Sarah was teaching us earlier. Reverence is discerning the moment. It's knowing what moment you're in. Am I supposed to be up serving right now? Or am I supposed to be sitting, hearing, feeding on this meal? Am I supposed to be making a meal or feeding on this one? Amen? And Jesus said, it's not going to be taken away from Mary. She knows what's most important. And Jesus is never going to tell you, hey, your ministry is not important. He's not going to tell you that. But the environment they were in was one of intimacy. Again, he's not on a hillside talking to thousands of people. He's not standing in the bow of a ship, right? Looking at people out on the shore. He's not in the synagogue. Where is he? Where is he? He's in a house. He's this far from people. He's eye to eye with them. There's intimacy there. And I believe what the Lord would say to us this morning is that ministry is a bad substitute for intimacy. And I know that because I've been guilty of trying it. Ministry of the Word is a terrible substitute for intimacy with the Word. 
the ministry of Jesus is a bad substitute for intimacy with Jesus. The ministry of worship, is that an important thing? Oh, you know it is. But the ministry of worship is a bad substitute for your own intimacy with Him through worship. It's knowing what's most important and what moment you're in. Amen? So our peace depends upon our ability to keep our mind stayed on Him. Can you hear your father saying today, hey, 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 pay attention. Pay attention. Over here. Just let the Holy Spirit say that to you every now and then. Hey, 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 hey. Back over here. Look, look, listen. I'm talking to you. I'm talking to you. And even when you come to church and you're sitting in church like this, there's so much pressure. I mean, some people come in thinking, where are we going to eat? When's this getting out? When's he going to be done? When's he going to be done? When's he going to be done? But if you come in with that mentality, it is a severely limiting factor to what you're going to get out of this. But when you come in with an excitement and an expectation and you say, I'm not letting anything pull my attention away from the word, you can get so much more out of it. Amen. And this is the result of the help of the Holy Spirit in you. And if you have to, before you get out of the car in the parking lot and you come in, you just say, Lord, I need your help today. There's a lot going on. I got to make a lot of decisions. There's a lot of things I need to do. I got to cook lunch for people after church. But help me feed first on the meal that you're making. On the meal that you've prepared. And he'll help you. He really, really will. Stand on your feet with me. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, there are several ways for you to contact us. Feel free to give us a call at 817-577-0180. You can also contact us through the Legacy Studios app or either of our websites. Giving options are available online at pearsonsministries.com and legacychurch.family. If you prefer, you can also text an offering. Simply text LEGACY in any dollar amount to the number 28950 and follow the prompts. Be blessed today. We love you. And remember, you are always welcome here in the House of Faith.